0: So, so far we've talked about not wasting our health, not wasting our time, not wasting our work, and then last week Ben so brilliantly talked about not wasting our family, particularly the relationships that we have as sons and daughters with our parents. And so what's left, to not waste. we got a few more weeks in the series. Does anybody think ahead or you just kind of show up and it's like a, you know, roll the dice, see what happens? Are some of you trying to work it out in your mind? What are the few things that are left? I'm betting on X today. Well, I bet not too many people bet on this one today. And we find the landscape for today's subject in a really powerful story in 2 Kings chapter 5. I just want to read a few verses of it and then we'll tell the rest of the story, but it says in 1 Kings 5.1 that Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now that, that's just a simple descriptor of who's going to be in this story. So we've got a guy named Naaman who's a commander in a mighty army at the time that this was written. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. But he was a valiant soldier and he had leprosy. Now that's gonna be a game changer for Naaman because it doesn't matter how valiant you are in battle. If you have leprosy, ultimately, it's gonna be a degenerating process in your life and take you away from peeking out at your best. But then the story changes a little bit in verse two. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master, that's Naaman, would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, if you don't know this story, Naaman took this advice, he ultimately went to his king and he said, can you give me a letter to go to Israel, to that king, because apparently there's a prophet there and there's some sort of an opportunity there and healing there, Naaman goes to Israel. He ends up hearing from the messenger of Elisha, the prophet, who says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your leprosy is going to go away. Naaman sort of balked at that originally, but then his servants talked him into to giving it a shot. He goes to the Jordan River. He dips himself seven times in the river, and it says when he does, his skin is restored to the skin of a young man. I mean, he doesn't just get healed of leprosy. He gets like a complete rejuvenation and a skin makeover in the process. And then he proclaims, Naaman does, at the end of this story in verse 15, um, then Naaman and all of his, uh, in verse 14, it says, so he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him he came out clean. And then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, back to Elisha. And he stood before him and he said, now I know, that's a key phrase, now I know. I know. Maybe other people knew, but now I know what others have already known. I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. In other words, I've now come to realize that the God of this nation, Israel, is the one true God. So a few things happened. He got a benefit in his life And God got the glory. We talk about that all the time at Passion City Church. That's the heartbeat of who we are. God wants to work for your good and his glory. Always, there are two outcomes in every situation that God puts you in and puts me in. The first one is his glory, and the second one is your good. So it's not just about God getting glory. We're going to get the benefit. So Naaman gets healed, but God then gets healed the glory, and all of it happens, but not necessarily because of the power of God and the prophet Elisha. It all happens because of a servant girl who was in the service of Naaman's wife. We don't know her name, we don't know anything about her, except when these uh, bands of raiders went down into Israel and took captive some of the people there to bring them back up into Aram, which would be up to what is now Syria in that region, uh, or, or to Jordan, when he brought her back and put her in this position, she still saw that she had the opportunity to influence the outcome of the circumstances and the situations around her. You and I have extraordinary influence. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are, you have the power of influence, a word from you, one word from you, one act from you, one prayer from you can change someone else's direction, can alter their course, can change history. You don't have to be famous to have influence. See, in our culture, we interchange influence with fame. Fame is recognition. I don't know if you've ever been around any famous people before. I, I, I've been around some people who have legitimate fame, and they can't go anywhere. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, come on, you know, you're just a regular person like the rest of us. No, they're not. They can't literally go anywhere. Not to the quick trip at 2 a.m. with a hat on and sunglasses. They can't go anywhere without someone recognizing them. Fame is about recognition, it's about being at a place in life for whatever reason, good or bad, people know who you are, recognize you wherever you go. But influence is different than that. Influence doesn't equal everybody knows me, and I'm famous and I get recognized everywhere. No one knew the servant girl. No one recognized the servant girl. No one was putting her on the list of the top influencers of the day in Iran. Nobody is putting her in that category, but she changed the outcome. She was the person who saved Naaman's life. So whatever else he did as a commander in that army, whatever influence he had for the duration of his life, all hinged on her ability to change the circumstance. When you look up influence, the definition of influence is to affect something. And then when you look up effect, because I'm like, okay, that didn't help a whole lot more. When you look up effect, the definition is to change something, which means you and I possess the ability to change things. You do, and I do, have this extraordinary opportunity. So today I would like to challenge us to not waste our influence. See, God sees you as a son or a daughter of the king. This is what is in the context of Ephesians where the heart of our text for this series comes from. He sees you as a love son, a love daughter of the King. You're filled with the life of God and the power of God by the Spirit. Therefore, God sees you as a person who is able to influence or affect or change the climate around you. So when we read in Ephesians chapter 5, and I just come back to this text again today because it's really the heart of this series, God's thinking about you when he's writing these words. In fact, if you go back to Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, you can see literally your name and story all the way through the book of Ephesians. And so when he gets to chapter five, he's thinking about you, he's thinking about me, and he says, be very careful then how you live. Now that in, it, in and of itself is something I've been trying to grab onto every day because the days come, The alarm goes off. There's immediately a problem, a challenge, an issue, a timeline. And if we're not careful, then we don't steward well that beginning moment of the day which allows us to be careful how we live. Not just that we lived, but how did I live today. Not as unwise, Paul said, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Can you say with me every opportunity? Can we say that together? Every opportunity. Now what is every opportunity about? It's about having influence. It's about understanding that God most likely has put you in the exact position you're in to change the outcome of the situation. You're like, well, I don't like the situation I'm in right now. I don't see how God could even be in the situation I'm in right now. I, I'm not even in a place I wanna be right now. I can identify with a servant girl. I was minding my business. Some people came through the door. They took me captive, took me up to Aram, and all of a sudden I'm a servant of this mistress, and I don't even know what's going on. How can I have influence, Louis? Nobody knows me. I'm not that important. I'm not famous. I don't get recognized places. But do you understand God has put you where you are for a reason? It's a setup, is what I'm trying to tell you. So that in the right moment, at the right time, you can make the most of the opportunity. People are looking up to you, someone's looking up to everyone in this building. Just do a quick inventory who's looking up? To you, Somebody has to look up to you because you're their teacher, you're their supervisor, you're their parent, you're their boss. And they, they have to look up the chain of command to you every day. But there are other people who are looking up to you because you're their role model. You're their hero. You're the one that they're trying to model life after. And it may not be a lot of people, but even one person looking up to you means you have extraordinary influence in life extraordinary opportunity to change the outcomes. A lot of people are watching you. People are watching you more than you think. And a lot of people are stuck with you. They, they're stuck with you. They, they can't trade you in. They, they can't, you know, change the locks on the door. Well, some of you, maybe they can, but, you know, it, it, they can't get rid of you. You're their brother. You're their sister. You're the mom. You're the dad. You're the son. You're the daughter. You're all in this situation together and therefore you are woven into an opportunity to bring change and to influence the situation. And then there are just the daily interactions. The, The person who serves you your coffee, the lady who gives you the ticket at the parking garage, the person who uh, checks you in at the airport onto your flight, the receptionist at the bottom of the building who uh, helps you find the right elevator and get up to the meeting that you're going to. There are all these kind of random interactions that happen in life. But what I want you to see today is none of them are random. They're all setups and they're all opportunities for you to be the one who changes the outcome of the situation. So don't waste your influence. Just like you can waste your health or your time or your work or your family, we can waste our influence. Just a a little quick rundown and there would be hundreds of candidates in the story of Scripture. But think about Pilate. Pilate, with his power and authority could release a known criminal named Barabbas or he could release a man who just healed the blind and walked on water named Jesus, but he was afraid of the people and afraid of the moment and so he released Barabbas and sent Jesus to his death. That's called wasting your influence. You're like, well, but that was part of the story of God and, you know, he needed to do that so that Jesus could be crucified for the sins of the world. No, he didn't need to do that. He could have done the right thing and God still would have fulfilled his purpose and plan to give his son for the sins of the world. Pilate lost his influence and his opportunity. And, you know, you can say, well, if he was your great-great-great-great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, in his stupidity and ignorance, made a way for a sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's why we've got a painting of him in the den. No, he lost his influence. There was an innkeeper in Bethlehem who looked at, you know, Joseph and said, she's pregnant, she's going to have a baby? Like, when? He goes, like, today. And he goes, oh, no, not in our hotel she's not. And he lost his influence in that moment. They're like, yeah, but then we wouldn't have nativity scenes and it wouldn't be as cool, and nobody wants a little motel room sitting, you know, on the on the kitchen table. No, the story could have read, and they got to Bethlehem, and Daryl said, you know what? All the rooms are full, but you can have our room. And we would all be, it would be the shepherds and the sheep and the, you know, the, the wise men, and Daryl would be in every story. But the innkeeper. He lost his influence. Judas was in the inner circle. He was at the Last Supper. But he sold out Jesus for cash. Lost his influence. It's a lesser known guy that I've been tracking with all my life named Demas. He's in the boilerplate footnotes of the epistles of Paul. You find him in Colossians. In Colossians it says, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Paul who's changing history has got helpers right beside him, one of whom is named Demas. And Philemon, again, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So we've got a guy who can be written into the story as a cohort of the Apostle Paul changing the known world in the landscape of faith. But then 2 Timothy comes along. At the end of Paul's life, he writes, for Demas, the one who was my dear friend and the one who was my fellow worker, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, party town, A. And Demas lost the opportunity and the influence God gave him by putting him right next to a world changer. And he cashed all that in for a party because he wanted earthly pleasure right now. Influence lost. But there are other people in the story do it the other way. There's another girl in the Old Testament that you have heard of. We don't know the name of the servant girl who was responsible for the change in Naaman's life, but we do know who Esther is. There's an entire book of scripture dedicated to her. Now, who was Esther? Esther, in the same way, was in a foreign land, not by her own choosing. So she's under the rule of the Persian kings. She's not in her homeland because people have been taken away from Jerusalem into bondage. She's an orphan girl, so she's got a couple of strikes against her already, but she's got this guy named Mordecai, who is her cousin who adopts her and looks after her and cares for her. So put Mordecai in the column of people who don't waste their influence. Now remember, none of these people knew they were going to be in the Bible. None of these people knew that there were going to be stories told about them. None of them knew that we were going to be preaching about them at Passion City Church. None of them knew that there'd be movies made about them and books written about them. They were just people trying not to waste their influence by making the most of every opportunity. And it's history and eternity that really tells this story. So we may get credit on earth, you may see some glimmers of it in life, but it's Time and eternity that are going to tell the story of the influence that you had on the people around you and the history that was moving past you. So Esther, as you know, became the queen at this time to Xerxes, and a plot was uncorked to kill all the Jews that were under the reign of Xerxes. And Mordecai saw the plot, understood it, and he beseeched Esther, who now had Gained the favor of the king and who was herself a Jew to step up and alter the course of the situation. Now, she was going to put her life at risk, her reputation at risk, her position at risk without fully knowing the outcome. But Esther was one shrewd woman and she came up with an amazing plot. And if you just like stories where the bad guys get it in the end, read Esther tonight before you go to bed. It is a really, great story of how history was changed, but it has in it that one timeline phrase that all of us have heard time and time again through history. In chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai says to Esther, and who knows, and who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. And I wonder where your 414 moments are in the day. Where is it that your eyes could be open, my eyes could be open, and I could go, oh, I get it. I've been put in XYZ position for such a time is this. I've got 30 seconds with the lady in the ticket booth in the parking garage, but I can tell right now by what God's stirring in my heart, I have been put in her line, in her lane, on this shift, in this deck, in this moment, on this day, for this word that I'm going to share with her. For this smile, for this encouragement, for this sense of hope that I can just breathe into her story. God's put me in the world. And it may be a history-changing moment like Esther had, which saved the Jewish people. Or it may just be one person's destiny-altering moment that just changes the course of their life. We're talking about, in this series, recalibrating. And calibrations aren't giant, but they give giant results over time. I remember going out to Atlanta Motor Speedway and a few other places with a friend of ours who is a NASCAR driver, and when there's been an accident at NASCAR, you know, on on 400 or on the interchange downtown, the connector, you know, they basically try to get the the major part of the front of the car off the side of the road, and then all the traffic can resume. But at NASCAR, if there's been an accident, they get the car off the track, and then these massive blowers come along, and they start at the top of the track, and these these guys are, are, are intense in their power, and they're blowing down the track any debris, then they come on a lower, a lower lap, and a lower lap, and a lower lap, and a lower lap, and they're driving like a half a mile an hour, and you're thinking, come on, can we just resume the race? And you're like, no, because even a little teeny tiny washer in the track can alter your course if you're going 200 miles an hour around a racetrack. And so every little bit matters because every little bit can alter the course. So here's our big idea for today. Don't waste your influence by seeing your current station as God's assignment. Now let's just leave it there for a minute. That's the main idea, and then we just add it on a little bit more just so we can know what's going on. But that's the main idea. You don't waste your influence by seeing your current station as God's assignment for bringing freedom to others. What did the servant girl do? She brought freedom from le- leprosy to her, her master. What did Esther do? She brought freedom to the Jewish people by standing in the gap for them and interceding to the king. And what is it that God ultimately wants you to do? It's not just to brighten somebody's day. It's to bring freedom to the people around you. This is even the nature of what we're doing today. The nature of the church is an influential nature. You are the light of the world. That's big influence, that's big effect, that's big change. You are the salt of the earth. So listen, I'm just saying it one more time, and it doesn't matter which side of the political debate you're on right now, it's true of both sides. Washington DC is not the hope of America. It doesn't matter who won the election, and if you think they are, you have not been paying attention for the last, oh, let's say, 250 years. The hope of America is the goodwill of people, most notably Christian people, moved by generosity because of the story of the cross, who do the things nobody else wants to do, find a way to pay for them, even if the government can't subsidize it, and touch and change communities, cities, and nations by the power of the love of God in Christ this is who we are we we you and me are the light of the city and the preserving agent of the culture and if we lose our saltiness the culture is sunk and if we stop shining our light then the world walks in darkness that's because we have been given influence by God So we we don't waste our influence when we see our station in life as God's assignment with the outcome of the freeing of other people. And so how do we do that? A few things. Number one, and you've seen this woven into every one of these messages, and it will be woven, I'm sure, into all of them by the time this series is done Number one, recognize that God is sovereign over your circumstances. In other words, you're not a pinball in the arcade game called life. And the flippers are just bouncing you around and you have no say, no control over the situation. You are a person ordained by God to be in the moment that you are in, and the thing that you have 100% control over is how you use your influence in that situation. See, the servant girl didn't say, well, I was captured by a band of raiders, and so of course God's not going to use me. No, God says, no, you were captured by me. I was just using the band of raiders because I wanted Naaman to have his eyes open so that a commander in Aram could understand that the God of Israel is the one true God so that the the sovereignty of God is brooding over the circumstance of your life. In the story of Joseph, which we touched on uh, last week, at the end of it, still, again, the most powerful understanding of this principle that we're ever gonna see probably in a human life. A guy abandoned by his family, lost the best years of his life to being a slave and a servant, forgotten in jail, but eventually raised up to be second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Interpret the dream, was given rule and authority, seven years of Great, and then seven years of famine, so let's get set up in the good seven years to survive in the bad seven years that are to come. And at the end of the day, that's exactly what happened, so that even his own brothers and his family come to him, and now they're desperate for food in this time of famine. And what does Joseph say to them? He says, in effect, my suffering in all this journey was for your salvation. He said, God, put me here. In advance to save people, he understood that just because the circumstances weren't to his choosing, his influence hadn't been diminished in the kingdom story of God. And he said, What you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many people. What does that mean? To bring freedom to others. And he understood the scope of that. Interestingly, and you don't need to turn to it, but in Esther, where it says, you know, God may have put you in this position for such a time as this. It says just right above that something really, really important in verse 13. It says, do you not think that because you're in the king's house alone, all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance, check this out, for the Jews will arise from another place. So even in the story of Joseph, Joseph gets written into the story by using his influence, understanding that God's sovereign over his circumstance. But if Joseph doesn't use his influence in that way, guess what? Someone else is gonna step into the story and use their influence to fulfill the purpose and plans of God. If Esther doesn't see for such a time as this, the scripture says, and Mordecai even tells her, God will find another way. So we don't have to have the pressure, man, I hope I get it right, so that God's plans will go forward. God's plans are going to go forward no matter what, but you can be written in into those plans and into that story by not wasting your influence, but by seeing that God is sovereign over your situation. Remember that phrase maybe this is a setup. I don't know why the car broke down today. I don't know why we're sitting in the shop today. I don't know why we're at the emergency room right now. I don't know why we're in whatever hospital it is. I don't know why this business deal went sideways. I don't know why I have to take this flight to Dubai tomorrow. Maybe it's all a setup, and it requires us taking our eyes off of ourselves and joining in with this great sovereign plan of Almighty God. That's how we don't waste our influence by making the most of every opportunity. The second thing that will help us not waste our influence is to be intentional with the influence that you do have right now. Now, I'm going to talk in just a moment about getting more influence because I, I want us to have more influence, but it begins with being intentional with the influence that you have right now. In 2013, and everyone in this building probably knows this, and a few of you, we want you to get on board, so it's good timing to put it into the talk today, but in 2013, at the Georgia Dome, about 60,000 college-aged young people were there, two big domes ago, and we knew we had a moment. And when you have a moment, can I just put it this way? You have stewardship. And when you have stewardship, you have influence. And when you have influence, you don't want to waste it. So you back all the way up before the moment and say, what do we want to do with our influence and with our stewardship? This is how you don't waste your days. You're driving to work thinking about the influence you're gonna have that day. You're driving to school, to the classroom, to the hangout with your neighbors, to whatever it is that you're doing thinking, I'm gonna have an opportunity in a stewardship today. How do I use that well? And I remember sitting in several meetings and eventually the idea was surfaced. And it's so great. And you've done this as well in business and in your families and other settings. The idea surfaced in this meeting. What if we just put all of our eggs in the basket of a red X? I remember sitting in a room 100 feet from here when that conversation landed. What if we just put all of our hope in a red X and say, We wanna end it. And there was discussion, conversation, good idea, bad idea, medium idea, some other ideas got back on the table. Finally, that idea was the idea. And we walked out of that meeting and said, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna start and launch a campaign of awareness around human trafficking. And our calling card is gonna be a red X that we hope will become a part of the fabric of the culture of America. And when we've got 60,000 people in a football stadium, that's enough influence to birth that baby. Not for our end, doesn't come back to us, we don't get any benefit, we don't get any trademark royalties, we're trying to be about bringing freedom to other people. So we're not gonna waste our influence by seeing our station in life as God's assignment for the freedom or to bring freedom to other people. And so on that last night, you've seen this photo. 60,000 candles were lit around the Georgia Dome, and that beam of light could be seen anywhere inside 285 just about. And the Red X was launched. And today, I'm happy to tell you, leading up two weeks from now to end it day on February 23rd, that that red X, we think, and this is all sort of guesstimation, has made 500 million impressions since that moment on people all over this world. 500 million impressions on people. The least of which is Bob Corker, who one of the last things President, former President Obama did was sign the End Slavery Act, the End Slavery Initiative, Put forward by Bob Corker, who you'll see in just a few days with a red X on his hand celebrating End It Day, because awareness is powerful and it's called influence and stewardship, and you have it in someone's life. See, don't wait if you're a social media type till you have a thousand followers to think that you have influence. Instead, ask the question, how do I want to influence the 212 people who are already following me now? It's my cat. Great. Hey, I posted a picture of my dog. I get it. I mean, not your cat, but I get my dog. So I get it. Because I think social media is a great opportunity to show people that you're real, you're normal, you're in the flow of life. But you've got to be thinking, I have this channel, how do I want to influence people with it? We say, well, I don't have influence, Louis. Uh, maybe you have a little more influence than me. I've only got 38 followers on Twitter, and you know, I think two or three of them passed away, and I don't really have a lot of influence. No, what do you want to do with the stewardship to the 30? five people who are currently following you. This is how you don't waste your influence, by being intentional with the influence you have. Third, seek greater influence. Move up your prayer list, this prayer, God, increase my influence with the time I have on planet Earth. Yeah, pray for your family, pray for the success of your business, pray for your children and the outcomes of their lives, but ask God to give you greater influence. And you say, well, how would God do that? He's gonna do it by your being faithful with the influence that you currently have. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In other words, If you and I will be faithful with the influence we have, then exponentially we're gonna see our influence grow just hypothetical the lady at the parking garage and you say to her maybe you're gonna be there two or three times this week or maybe you're there every day or maybe uh, it's a short-term thing and you smile and she seems to smile back and she doesn't slam the window down and so if she does just take that as a you know pray for her that's a way to in, to influence but if she doesn't if she smiles back and if she looks like well wow, you're the first person that's like notice me in here in a, in a while and you have a little more moment there. Who knows? Maybe your encouragement to her is going to infect the way she encourages her son, and maybe her son's going to end up to grow up and solve some great dilemma in the world. And when the stories are all told, you're going to be the person, you're going to be the servant girl in the story. See, it's seeing little places to influence that I think inspires God to increase our influence. But it's very unlikely that God is going to rocket you to greater influence if you haven't stewarded well the influence that you have. And I think what all of us want to have said about our lives is, I was a big influencer of the way things went down on planet Earth while I was alive. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? You don't have to be Einstein. You don't have to be Galileo. You don't have to be a president of a country. You could be a servant girl who changes an outcome and changes a history and changes a nation and changes the climate and changes people and changes eternity. A few uh, days ago, I was in a hotel in Houston, Texas, the night before the Super Bowl with uh, some of our Falcon players. Interestingly, first time it's happened in my life, and I've done some national championship chapels and a lot of different chapels over 30 years of life, but this is the first time I arrived at the hotel, and the entire hotel was closed, except for the players and the coaches. That's all we're staying in this 20-story hotel. I actually had to get my credentials on. That's never happened at a Falcons Chapel before. Uh, Had three or four or five different layers of people looking at me to see if I could, you know, make it into the building. Eventually made it up to the meeting room where we were having chapel, and had an amazing chapel, and Um, really did have an incredible chapel. I know it's like, I don't know about that. Well, we definitely, uh, definitely you could see it in the first half, the impact of your pastor's influence. The way we came out of the gate. They didn't ask me to come in during halftime. And so we did this chapel and I left, I was by myself, and I was going back to Shelley's brother's house where she was staying. And I got in my car, I know this neighborhood, I know Gessner and Katie Freeway, if you're from Houston, you know what I'm talking about. And I got in my car and I started to drive away and then it hit me. And I wanna show you, I went and pulled it up on Google Maps so you could see it. The, the red pen, obviously, is where we did chapel, the Weston Memorial City. The starting point over here, the white dot to the bottom left, in the white buildings that you see around it, up to the top of it, is a church called Tallawood Baptist Church. For the summers, just stay with me for a minute, of 1984, 1985, and 1986, in one of those buildings that you can see, the white buildings there, I sat at a folding table in an abandoned Sunday school room for three summers of my life as a summer college intern at Tallowood Baptist Church. I didn't even get a, a real desk. I didn't have any file drawers. I didn't have anywhere to put my pens and paper clips. It was like, hey, you can have a table, and the other intern has a table, and the other intern has a table, and y'all are up there on the second floor in that abandoned what used to be a Sunday school room of some kind. And for three summers, here's the only question I asked God, you've given me about 75 college students this summer. And in a few nights from now, we're gonna gather again at Marion Kelly's house which is also on this map. And it's gonna be another Tuesday night and I just want you to give me something that I can give to them. I want you to pour through me in a way that I can pour into them because I want our eyes to open up to see who Jesus is. And I wanna serve these 75 college students and I wanna see them come to know you the way that I've come to know you and I want them to see how much you love them. And for three summers and on, on, a, on a table, not a desk, in an abandoned Sunday school room, 1.3 miles from a hotel that didn't exist at the time and had not yet been built for a team of guys, some of which had not even been born yet, We're gonna come in a room in a chapel, and God was gonna say, it's your assignment. You're up tonight. It's Super Bowl 50 and 51, and you're on the docket this time, so I need you to go there, and I need you to see this opportunity, and I want you to take this opportunity and make the most of this opportunity opportunity and I'm driving away because I used to snake through a lot of these roads from the mall sometimes depending on traffic going to work and I'm imagining God riding with me in the car saying hey Louie in 30 and a half years from now the lowest guy on the totem pole at Tallawood Baptist Church who barely can get invited to speak at a high school lock-in, meaning at 4 a.m. when kids are hyped up on who knows what, you're gonna still be trying to teach them about Jesus. I'm gonna send you right over there to, the, to a hotel that has never even been imagined, dreamed, or designed yet, and you're gonna do chapel for the, your hometown Atlanta Falcons on Super Bowl 51, and I would have just looked across at the car and gone, huh? (laughs) And do you know what what was going on when I was walking with the Falcons chaplain who had invited me down the hallway to that defensive uh, meeting room for that chapel? Lord, you've given me stewardship of a couple dozen guys tonight. Please make the most of this opportunity. Please give me what I need today to convey to them what you want to convey to them. Please help me today to allow them to see what I have seen, to experience you in the way that I have experienced you. Let me have that power to let them see the love of God in their lives. Same prayer, different influence. And we're all thinking, man, that was the greater influence at the Super Bowl Chapel. No, the 70 kids could be the greater influence. We don't know yet. But we'll find out at the Great Supper of the Lamb. It's being faithful with the influence that you have that triggers the economy of God to give you greater influence 30 and a half years from now in a scenario, in a situation that you don't even see coming. And then lastly, how do we not waste it? By being under the influence of the Spirit. So when he said, make the most of every opportunity, he says in the next verse, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to waste, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So the way to make sure you don't waste your influence is by being under the influence of the right influencer. (laughs) It's by every single day saying, Holy Spirit, you influence me so that I then can influence every set up moment that you put in front of me today. What would those look like? Well, I just read backwards from Ephesians five all the way back up to the prayer in Ephesians three. And I noted a few. Uh, Number one, carry a positive belief into every situation you walk in. That's how you influence people. If you're you're draggy, if you're ho-hum, if you're always eyes down, if you only see short term, If you walk into everything nearsighted and you can't see anything bigger, then you're not going to influence people around you because why do you care? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Can we say that? Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Can we say that again? Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're not joyful, you're not under the influence of the right influence. Because it's not about, oh, I'm a happy person. I wake up and I'm just a happy person. When I wake up, I'm so happy. I just want to make everybody happy. No, it's about being under the influence of the right influence because when you're under the influence of the right influence, one of the influences of that influence is joy in your life. Not to mention you get peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How will those change the people around you? Second way, if we look back a few verses to Ephesians 4, 29 and 31, use your words to build others up according to their needs. Don't look for ways to cut people down. That's how you use your influence in a positive way to affect the outcome of people's lives. The third thing is give the same forgiveness to others that God gave to you, Ephesians four thirty two. That's the way that you can influence somebody's destiny by letting go of that grudge in the same way God let go of the grudge that he had against you. And you can change somebody's life by freeing them in your grace in a heartbeat. D, speak the truth to your neighbor in love. Ephesians 4, 25 and 15. So there are gonna be moments where you're gonna be the Esther, you're gonna be the servant girl, you're gonna be the one standing right in that moment as a setup by God to speak what is right and true take that moment don't be afraid of the crowd don't be be afraid of the size of the moment take that moment you know how by the way i could have wasted a uh, super bowl chapel which we did not waste by the way we had church in that chapel the problem was there's a guy on the other team having church too <laughs> you look at all the pictures of the winning touchdown and overtime you'll see a guy Number 19, standing there with his hands up, awarded the Athletes in Action Man of the Year, the day before. <laughs> so it doesn't determine outcomes, but here's how I could have wasted that moment. By not being ready, by being starstruck, by not going for it, and by trying to get a photo or an autograph from a player. And I've seen that happen time and time again, and people lose their opportunity because they don't see that God put me here to speak truth in love because I might be the only one willing to do it. How does the Spirit lead you? Two quick more. To look for opportunities to be generous to others, Ephesians four twenty eight. That's how you influence people. Look, generosity isn't about giving at Passion City Church. It's about influence. He who is generous to all, Proverbs said, is a friend of all. If you want more friends and thus more influence, be more generous. And then lastly, pray always, everywhere, for all people. That's where we started last week. I'm praying to the God of heaven from whom every family derives its name. Paul was praying (laughs) for people. And your prayer, think about it, might be the game-changing influence that recalibrates history. Your willingness to say, man, I don't even know that guy, and he obviously doesn't want me to talk to him right now, but I'm gonna pray for him. Elevator doors closed. God, I don't know who's ever prayed for that guy, but I'm praying for him right now in Jesus' name, and these are the things I wanna ask you to do in his life in Jesus' name. And our whole day becomes a rhythm of praying for people some praying for them and they know it most of them praying for them and they'll never know it but us believing that prayer changes things and changes influence and I don't want to waste the opportunity I have on planet earth <laughs> you know and that just parks us I guess at Jesus and the one thing that will never be said about him among many many things is he did not waste his influence But he made the one decision that changed everything when he gave his innocent life on a cross for your sin and shame. And in that act of love and grace, a way was made for the Father to forgive you and wash your sin away and birth in you a brand new relationship with God a daughter of the king a son of almighty God that one decision Jesus made changed everything for you